If you could turn to Philippians chapter 1. I want to speak to you from verses 9 through 11. There's a well-known phrase in there, approve the things that are excellent. And I want to think about that. Let's read verses 9 to 11. Paul in prison, he writes this, In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge, in all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And there you see it in verse 10, approve the things that are excellent. I want to talk about that phrase first, and then we're going to actually look at the logic Paul has in these verses, because that's going to be very important. This is obviously something I know you all already have a heart and a hunger to do as Christians. You want to approve the things that are excellent. I'm sure if that would be the testimony of the mass majority of you, that's your desire. You want that which is more superior than anything else. Let's think for a moment about approve. The word right there, approve the things that are excellent. To approve, it means to test. It means to try. We, we see that word used in Luke 12. It says you know how to analyze the appearance of the earth. And so to approve, you're analyzing, you're testing, you're trying, and you're seeing what is most excellent in this situation. Ephesians 5 says to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Think about excellent. Approving what is excellent. That word excellent, it means to be different from. We find that Greek word used there in similar places. And and listen here, 1 Corinthians 15, it says this, There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. You see that idea? There's this one star here, it's pretty glorious. But there's another star over here. It's far more glorious. It's far more radiant. And so that star is most excellent. That over there, no, there's a difference between that star and that star in glory. And the Christian is seeing this is lesser in glory. I'm going to choose what is most excellent, and that's this one right here. It's more superior. We see the same word used in Luke. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? So when you think about approving, trying what's excellent, you're thinking what has more value to the glory of God? Here I've got these two decisions before me, or maybe I've got ten, but which one of these is of more value and the most excellent one? That's a what excellent is. Now, when do we approve what is excellent? 
<clears throat> well, I would say this is in context. It's referring to everyday decisions all the time, everything you do. Whether you eat or you drink, whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. There's not an hour in the Christian's life where they step back and think, I don't want to approve what is most excellent. I'm going to just stop analyzing things, and I'm just going to go with the second and the third best. The Christian, I want to always approve what is most excellent. And we even see here in these verses as he goes on, he talks in verse 10, this is in order to be something sincere and blameless or pure and blameless. So whether or not you approve the things that are excellent, your blamelessness and purity is connected to that. If you throw off approving what is excellent, you're not going to be as blameless. He says in verse 11, being filled with the fruit. So Paul is talking about day-to-day decisions all the time, approving what is most excellent, and it affects our fruitfulness. You know, you think about a gardener, right? They want the tree to be filled with the most fruit possible, or they want the bush filled with the most fruit possible. They want to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. They want it to have the most it can. So what, do you, what does a gardener do? What does someone, a farmer do? They're thinking, what is the most excellent fertilizer to use? What is the most excellent place to plant? They don't have two areas and plant in the ground that isn't going to bear as much fruit. They're constantly thinking, this is most excellent. I'm going to go with this right there. You guys are single. Do you want a good wife? No, you want an excellent wife, right? You're not looking for a good wife. You're looking for an excellent wife. An an excellent wife, as it says in Proverbs. That's what Solomon said. We want what is excellent. So here you are with a decision to make, and there's something different about this other direction, and thus you go with the most excellent way. You're asking, what route excels all the rest to the glory of God? Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said, The whole art of life, I sometimes think, is the art of knowing what to leave out, what to ignore, what to put on one side, how prone we are to dissipate our energies and to waste our time by forgetting what is vital and giving ourselves to second and third rate issues. Approving what is excellent, it's seeking to give yourself to the first rate issues. We want that. I mean, as Christians, we want that. We look at how excellent Christ is, and the overflow of that is I want to approve what is excellent. I mean, if I'm a slave of Christ, I want to approve what is excellent and do the, make decisions that honor Him the most. I want to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now we have a problem. At times we don't approve what is excellent. We don't. And we could think to ourselves, well, why is that happening? Why am I not approving what is excellent? And we should. We should ask, why this? And I want to put forward, it's often because we lack a key ingredient needed to correctly analyze the differences of choosing what is most excellent. <clears throat> Notice Paul's logic here. Look at, look at the text in verse 9. Paul does not pray that they might approve what is excellent. 
He doesn't pray that. He prays for that which will lead to that. Paul recognizes there's something deeper at heart here and at root here than just telling the Christians, approve what is excellent. I could stand here all evening and say, approve what is excellent, and that won't do anything, maybe, to really approve what is excellent. Look at Paul's logic in verse 9. This I pray. And Paul is he's going to pray three key ingredients here. I pray that your love may abound still more and more. I'm calling that ingredient number one. Number two, in real knowledge. And number three, all discernment. Now look at verse 10. So that, so that you may approve what is excellent. Meaning if you don't have those three ingredients in in verse 9, you're not going to approve what is excellent in verse 10. Paul is not praying, approve what is excellent. He's praying, Lord, make their love abound with knowledge and all discernment. And the outcome of that will be they will approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ. So let's think about those three ingredients because we need them. And if we don't have all three of them, you'll find you often aren't really approving what is excellent. You may think you're approving what is excellent, but you're missing out on one of those. It's going to make a difference. So the first ingredient... Love abounding more and more. Love for who? God or man? Both? Well, if you look at the verse prior, verse 8, what does Paul say there? He's really talking about love for men. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I think Paul right in there, then he's praying for them that their love would abound more and more. I think Paul, he wants those at Philippi to have a love abounding with an affection of Christ Jesus, just like he said he had right there. So you could say this love, it's abounding love for fellow Christians. What is love? Love. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, kind. He goes on and says it doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Okay, that could help some. Look at this very letter though. Philippians 2, look down at verse 3. Paul goes on here, he's talking about the mindset that Jesus Christ has. And he's calling them to imitate Christ in verse 3. He gives this in more practical terms. He says, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Regard one another more important. If if my love, if my if I'm not abounding in greater regard for your interests than mine, I'm not going to prove what is excellent. I have to have that ingredient. I have to. So often, if self is there, we may have, as we'll look at, knowledge. We may have discernment, and we don't actually prove what is most excellent because love is just not abounding. We're not consumed with the other person's interest. We're focused on ourselves. And this mindset is found in Jesus Christ, he says in verse 5. We find in Ephesians 5, walk in love 
How? As Christ loved us, how did Christ love us? He gave Himself up for us. Love is willing. I'm willing to give myself up for you. I'm sacrificing my own interests, my own desires for you. That's got to be abounding. If you're not abounding with others' interests in view, you're not going to prove what is most excellent, but you'll be self-centered. So that's the first ingredient. Again, verse 10, it says the things in 9, we have to have them so that we may approve the things that are excellent. We need these ingredients. The second is real knowledge. You see that right there in verse 9, your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge. So Paul isn't just saying have love abound. That'd be kind of risky, right? You know, just have love abound. Well, love based on what? Blind love? Well, no. Love based on real knowledge. Love based on the claims of God. Love based on what the Scriptures say. You can't throw out the Scriptures and say I'm loving someone when it entirely contradicts the Word of God. The danger is, as Paul said in 1 Timothy, some, they have what's called, they falsely they call it knowledge. It's not really knowledge. So we have to make sure the knowledge I have of who God is, the claims of God, what the Word of God says, is it false? Is it true? Is it really found in the Scriptures? Romans 2, we find here that the Jews, they knew His will and they approved the things that are excellent. It says essential there, but that's the exact same word. Why did the Jews approve the things that were excellent? Paul says, being instructed out of the law. So God gave them the law. They approve what is excellent by looking at the law. God has given us the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does He say in Matthew 11? Learn of Me. And so if you want real knowledge to be with your love, you want to look at Christ and you want to learn of Him. Because Christ had love abounding perfectly every moment of His life. He never had a point where He needed more love to abound. He was always at the max. He perfectly approved what was excellent in every single decision He made. And so I can look at His life in the Scriptures and some things might not seem like the most excellent decision, like being a carpenter for that many years. Yet it was. He always approved what was excellent. Now the Jews in Romans 2, what was their problem? They, they approved what was excellent, but they were not doers. They did not do it. That's what Paul went on to say in Romans 2. The world, they have self-abounding. They approve of sin. They don't see fit to acknowledge God. You've got a lot of people doing things in the name of love that is not according to the knowledge of God, not according to the claims of Christ and the Scriptures. So we need real knowledge. If we're going to approve what is excellent, we need that. Thirdly, we need all discernment. We need all discernment. The writer of Hebrews said in chapter 5, the powers of discernment are trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. When you think about discernment, you can think about having the ability to judge what really is the real need. What is the person to meet, to act upon and to serve in that need? What's the timing in the place to act? It takes discernment to know when is the right time to do something and when is it the wrong time to do something. If we just have love and we've got knowledge but we have no discernment, we're going to run into problems. We need discernment. We need to distinguish even what the Scriptures say to rightly apply them. 
So discernment. So Paul says here, verse 9, he's praying for three things. Our love abounding still more and more. And that's something we all need. We need more love, more selflessness, more sacrificial attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. We need real knowledge and we need all discernment, verse 10, in order that something would happen. In order that when we face that crossroads every hour of our life on what to do, we can approve what is most excellent. Think for a moment. What happens if I lack one of these ingredients? Think of the imbalances that could happen. Imagine love without biblical knowledge of the claims of God. It produces sincere people who are sincerely wrong. They're running around with tons of supposed love, but it is not according to the Lord. Think about knowledge and discernment without love. What does that produce? It produces judgmental, critical people. How I was as a new Christian. That's what you get. You get knowledge and discernment. You get judgmental, critical people. They don't have love abounding. And they feel pretty good about themselves because knowledge puffs up. And they feel puffed up. Paul said, but love, it builds up. Paul said, if I understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith but have not love, I'm nothing. You can have knowledge, discernment, but if you don't have love... You're not going to have patience. You're going to be irritated with those who are slower than you. If you're irritated with those who are slower than you, you can't approve what is excellent. You're going to approve entirely differently, and you're going to think you're right because you're looking at your discernment, you're looking at your knowledge. The love's out of the picture. you just got two ingredients, and you're going to be approving things that are not most excellent, that are not superior, that are not different than each other, the best. Think of another imbalance. Knowledge plus love without discernment. You're just not going to see the time to act. You'll have all this love. And you'll have knowledge. And you'll feel like, I know what I need to do, but then you never discern when's the right time to do it. Or you do it at the wrong time. Discernment, it matters. Or we can miss approving what is excellent. Or not really see the real need. It takes discernment to get below the surface and get deep down and see what is the real need in that person's life. So those are some imbalances that we could run into if we lack one of the three ingredients. So Paul is praying for love to abound rather than cold knowledge, yet not just love abounding without knowledge, yet not just love and knowledge, but discernment on how to apply the knowledge in the most loving way depending upon the circumstances and situation. Why? So that you may approve what is excellent. That's what he says. It's in order that you might approve what is excellent. Now let's look. Let's look at a couple examples of this right here from this letter. And you'll see how the logic works. You need these three ingredients You don't just wake up, I'm going to prove what is excellent. Yes, we want to think that. But Paul doesn't just pray for that. He prays for that which is going to lead to the action of approving what is excellent. First, look at Philippians 1. Look at verse 15. You guys know some, to be sure, preaching Christ even from envy and strife but some also from goodwill. The later do it out of love, 
knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. So people with false motives are preaching to make Paul distressed in his imprisonment. What then is the most excellent response, Paul? I mean, if you're Paul and you're facing that situation, you want to approve what is most excellent. Is it to fall into self-pity? Is it to say we need those men to stop preaching? Look what Paul says in verse 18. I mean, this this is an unusual response compared to what we would want to respond like. And he says this, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. If you don't have love abounding, you're not going to respond in the most excellent way like that. If you've got knowledge and discernment, you're going to discern so much about their motives that you think they they better just stop. And you'll just be frustrated in that prison cell just thinking they need to stop. And think if Paul would have just, his joy would have flown away like a bird. But instead, Paul, he had love abounding, he had knowledge and discernment, and he realized knowledge-wise they're preaching Christ. That's a good thing. Discernment-wise, he saw their motives were wrong, but his love abounded and his response was rejoicing in that circumstance. That's, that's approving what is most excellent. Not self-pity, not anger. You go to Galatians, when they're distorting the gospel, he responds differently. The most excellent thing there was to say these men need to be accursed. Again, it changes. Another example here. Look at verse 21, chapter 1. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But if I'm to live in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet which I, and I do not know which to choose. That's kind of the situation, you know, which star is brighter than the other? Which one is the most excellent? There's a, he's like, I don't know which one to choose. You know, it's like, I got this direction, I got this direction, which one's better? I mean, that's what we face. But look what happens here. Paul says this, but I'm hard pressed from both directions, having to desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Very much better? That's probably going to end up being the most excellent decision, right? Because it's very much better? Wrong. Look what Paul then says. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So love abounding in the Apostle Paul even though to depart and be with Christ is very much better, love abounding with knowledge and discernment. And Paul looks and he realizes, no, the most excellent thing is that I remain because there's a need here. I mean, that's love abounding more and more. And he approved what is excellent. He didn't want out. He wanted to stay in the battle. It's more necessary. I mean, that's so often the key. What's the most necessary thing? That's what, that makes it superior, right? This is more necessary than this, so I'm going to go with that. Another situation that if you don't have love abounding with knowledge and discernment, you will not make the decision that Paul makes here. Look at chapter 2 in Philippians. Epaphroditus was their messenger, verse 25. They had sent to Paul. I mean, think of it. Paul, you're in prison. And it's pretty miserable. And this guy is ministering to your needs. You're in prison. This man's ministering to your needs. Wouldn't the last thing in the world you'd want to do is send him away? 
I mean, he's meeting your needs. He's helping you. <clears throat> Yet look what he does. Paul looks and he sees Epaphroditus. <clears throat> 26 was longing for you all. He was distressed because you heard he was ill. For indeed, he was sick. Verse tw- skip to verse 28. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly so that you may see him again and may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Ah, sorry, verse 25. There's, that's where we find that word necessary again. Look at verse 25. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Think, Paul's in a hard spot. What's the most excellent thing to do? Keep Epaphroditus, he's ministering to my needs in prison, or send him away? And he looks and he says, you know what? The most necessary thing is to send him back. God kept him alive. Yeah, I'll be here in prison. The Lord will sustain me. We're going to send him back over there that the brothers may rejoice. I mean, how do you come to a decision like that? Look at how the love Paul had. Was he concerned about his own interests? No. He was concerned about the interest of others. He was having that mind of Christ right there at that moment. If love was not abounding, that wouldn't have happened. I mean, I'm in prison. I'd kind of like the guy to stay with me, keep ministering to my needs. I wouldn't think the most excellent thing is to send him away. So one more example. Look at chapter 4. seems these two sisters in verse 2 We're having disagreements, maybe weren't reconciled, and Paul says, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. So Paul's exhorting them, be reconciled, agree with one another, have the mind of the Lord in this situation. But you know what happens? Think of if one of those sisters, her love was not abounding. She had a lot of discernment, a lot of knowledge, and she thought, you know, I know I'm right. We don't know what they're disagreeing over. And she thought, I know I'm right. I know Yodia is wrong. Paul's telling us to have harmony. Paul's telling us to agree with one another. I don't want to do that. But you know what happens when love abounds? You know what happens when knowledge and discernment are there? Even though two people may disagree on something, they're able to have harmony and unity, and that is the most excellent thing in that situation. Rather than breaking ties over something that obviously must have been small here, they approve what is excellent. They let love abound more and more. So, is this approving what is excellent a big and important deal? Yes. But get this. You know what's more important? Love abounding with knowledge and all discernment. You want to approve what's excellent? Yes. But if you don't have that which leads to it, you're going to fail miserably at approving what is excellent. If you don't have love abounding, you're already out of the game. You're not going to see which star is brighter, which direction is more excellent and more glorifying to God. You just won't be able to see it when love is not abounding. Because then you approve what is excellent. Now look, look at the verse again. Paul, he goes on, Philippians 1. He prays for these three things. Verse 10, this is so that, or in order that, that it might produce what? 
you approving the things that are excellent. And then notice again, in order to be. So proving what is excellent, it's in order to be. There's something that happens when you're living a life of proving what is excellent. In order to be. And he says right here, to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So is this important mindset as a Christian to have that my life is going to be about what is superior, what is, like Lloyd-Jones said, what is of first importance, not second, not third? It is. Paul says in order to be pure, sincere, blameless, meaning if I just step back and say as a Christian that I can just live a life and do all the third-rate things and I'm never going to strive to approve what is excellent with my love abounding... Paul says there's a connection here between you doing that and blamelessness and purity and being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So it matters. To not want what is absolutely essential will affect your life. I mean, how often do blemishes in our lives come or problems when we just didn't approve what is excellent? I mean, you kind of get home at the end of the day and you made certain decisions or even at a Sunday meeting and you're reflecting on it and you're thinking something didn't go right. And you can kind of trace it back to a point where you were at a crossroads. Maybe it was to say something to someone or not to say something to someone. And you didn't approve what was excellent. Your love wasn't abounding. And you went the wrong way. How often at the end of the day, there you don't, you don't feel as blameless. Your conscience, there's something on the conscience there. Why? Not approving what is excellent. Which happens because love is not abounding with knowledge and all discernment. So, a couple things to remember here. Remember, Romans 2, the Jews approved what was excellent. They knew God's will. But you know what Paul went on to say there? They were not doing it. They were hypocrites. It's not enough to look and say, ah, that's the most excellent thing. You've got to go through the door. You've got to be a doer of the Word and not a hearer, only deceiving yourself. Like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror and he sees, boy, that was the most excellent thing to do, but then he never goes and actually does it. He leaves the mirror, totally forgets about it. Why the big deal on this? Look at the end of verse 11. What's all this going towards? It's to the glory and praise of God. When you want a good motivation to go and approve what is excellent today and this week, it's going to reflect how excellent the Lord is to you. When people see Christians making the most excellent decisions, the most love-abounding decisions, all it does is glorify and it honors God. It just shows the true character of God to the world and they see that God is a God of discernment and knowledge, but He's also a God of love-abounding. And they see that in our lives. And it honors Him. It glorifies the Lord. Now we say, boy, I, I want more love abounding with knowledge and discernment. How do I get it? How do I, I don't have enough of it. How do I get it? Well, what was Paul doing here? This I pray. I mean, Paul was praying for them. If you want it, pray. If you want others to have more of it, pray for them that their love would abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that they may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Yes, know the Word of God. 
But we need to be praying. Pray. Now look at verse 11. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness. So all, you know, all these things are happening here. Paul prays for three ingredients. Then they approve what's excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. And what happens on that day? They're filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ. I mean, ultimately, when we think about love abounding and knowledge and discernment, you know what we're ultimately thinking about? We're thinking about looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we're going to get the fruit. It comes through Christ. And ultimately, Paul goes on in chapter 2, and he holds up Christ is the supreme example. He is the one who had love abound more than any man who's ever lived. He is the one who approved what was excellent in every single decision he made. He is the one that our focus needs to be on. And think of his love. If, if, would you approve what is most excellent to leave heaven above? and come down as a man, and take the form of a servant, and not account equality with God a thing to be grasped? And is that really the most excellent thing, to humble yourself so much? Christ's love abounded in such a way that absolutely that was the most excellent thing to glorify God the Father. And Christ came, and He died on that cross to save us from the penalty and the power of our sins. And the Christian who's been saved from the penalty of sin has been saved from the power. They've been given a new heart by God. And that heart, it longs. It longs to approve what is most excellent. It longs to honor Christ. I mean, you're grieved when you don't approve that which is superior. Well, we need to imitate Paul, as he says in Corinthians, as he imitated Christ. It all points back to Christ. But if you don't have love abounding, if you don't have knowledge about the claims of God and understand the Word of God and know who God is, know His attributes, know His character, and you don't have discernment, you can't approve what is excellent. It's just going to fail. Let's pray. Father, It is my prayer that for all of us our love would abound more and more. Lord, more and more, a greater abundance, more looking out for the interest of others, more dying to self, more just living for Christ, more taking the form of a servant, more not counting equality a thing to be grasped. Lord, give us more of that, more love. And Lord, give us a greater knowledge of who you are, Lord, open our eyes that we might see your glory and your character, your attributes, who you are, Lord. Give us a greater understanding of the Scriptures. And Lord, would you give us more discernment, Lord, that we just might have good timing, that we might discern the right needs. And, and it just, Lord, we want this so that we might approve what is excellent. Lord, we desire to approve what is superior, what is different from everything else, what is the decision that is going to, that is the most excellent way, the most superior. Lord, please, pray You'd work all these things in us. Lord, that we'd be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And Lord, would it all be to the glory and honor and praise of Your name. Lord, we are insufficient. Would You help us and work in us to will and to work these things for Your good pleasure. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.